Now, if you have children that are between the ages of four and seven, you have opportunity to take them to children's church. Those of us that remain, I would invite you to turn once again to the book of Galatians. There'll be but one more time after this week that I'll be saying that, the book of Galatians, as we finish chapter 6 and we finish our first book in our morning worship together. For those of you that are curious, yes, we do have something planned for after next week. We'll be turning to the Old Testament and looking at the book of Ecclesiastes that I think some have aptly named the most evangelistic book in the Old Testament. And so I would invite you in coming weeks to read through that. But for now, let us stand together and hear the word of our God. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would illumine our minds and our hearts, that we might not only hear Your Word, but that we might not walk away from it as from a mirror, but rather we might apply it to our very hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever had an opportunity where something you were doing was so difficult or so frustrating that you decided to give up? Maybe it was the first time you were training for a long bike ride. Or a marathon. And you got about halfway through and you said, this is it for me. And you called your spouse and you said, honey, come pick me up. I'm done. Maybe it was your first repair job. And you got frustrated with it. And you leave all the tools there and you say, this is it for me. Forget it. There's been occasions where this becomes very stark. For example, in war, it can even happen to soldiers. There are tales of soldiers who, in the midst of a battlefield, with bullets whizzing around, will simply just sit down, put down their gun, and give up. Not move, not even have the strength to surrender. But this sort of thing happens in ministry to us as well. You know, one of the things that's interesting is, the more experienced you are in ministry, and the greater your experience in difficulties in ministry, the more tempting it is at times to just simply give up. One of the places where this is most evidenced amongst ministers is in respect to charity and meeting mercy needs. It seems that there's a direct correlation 
between the number of years having been a pastor or a deacon or an elder and the number of cases that you've seen of mercy ministry to the inverse proportion of your desire to provide any such ministry. You might be, for example, sitting in your home resting. You might even be, for example, watching a movie with your wife. And you get a phone call that says, we need to go help someone. And you stir yourself up, sure that yet again it'll be a problem, but hoping against hope that it'll be a true story. And you go and you find out once again that your hopes have been dashed. And that that mercy ministry has been someone lying to you. There's a temptation to say, you know what? We're not going to bother with that anymore. I'm giving up on it. But you see, Paul knows that this kind of difficulty meets us in life. It meets us in marriages. It meets us as we raise children. And Paul knows we need encouragement because God knows. And so Paul is dealing with these Galatians, this church that we've spent so much time with, that we've come to know and love, the difficulties they've had. They're confused. They're sometimes fighting. They've got outside bad influences. And those who have been faithful all along are probably very tempted to just give up, to change churches if they can, to move over to First Church of Ephesus and leave these Galatians alone. But you see, Paul gives this word of encouragement to us. He tells us that now is not the time to quit. He tells us first that God knows we grow weary. What a comfort that is, that God knows that we grow weary. And he tells us this. But God doesn't just know we grow weary. He gives us the means not to grow weary. He knows we grow weary, and he gives us the means not to grow weary. And then finally, Christian, God goes so far as to command us not to grow weary. If that sounds a bit odd to you, that God would command you not to give up, to persevere on, let us then see what the Lord has to say for us this morning. First, let's take a look at God knowing us that we grow weary. You'll notice the context of where this passage lies. Last week we looked at what? Bearing one another's burdens, didn't we? And previous weeks we looked at the war between the spirit and the flesh. There's a context here. You see, Paul is talking to spiritual Christians. He's telling those who he has commanded to fulfill the law, to walk in the spirit, to bear one another's burdens. These are the people he's addressing. He's not addressing sub-Christians. He's not addressing lazy Christians, beloved. What a comfort that is. You see, God knows you grow weary, and the fact that you are growing weary doesn't make you some kind of second-class believer. It doesn't mean you don't get it. It doesn't mean the Lord Jesus Christ is not there for you. It's because you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you are striving to walk with the Spirit. Because you are striving to bear one another's burdens. That is what causes you to grow weary. You see, this follows all these exhortations. It's as if Paul says to himself, I know what they're thinking. I've just told them all that they should be doing and all that they have been doing. And I bet they're tired. And let me encourage them. You see, there's no reason for Paul to address this at this point unless that is an issue. 
You see, some commentators even say, I wonder why Paul put this here. It makes no sense. It comes out of the blue. And they make up things. They say, well, we think it's some sort of general maxim. You know, like, look before you leap. And Paul's just throwing it in here at the end. Last shots. No. You see, Paul knows about ministry. Paul knows about weariness. Paul knows about difficulties. And so he's sharing from his own heart and life with these fellow believers at Galatia. You see, Paul's concern here is those who are seeking to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. The language points to it. Look with me at verse 9. Paul says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. You see, Paul is literally speaking to those who are doing good right now. You English majors, let us not grow weary of doing good. It's really a participle. It's like an adjective. It's like a verb that's an adjective. Who are these people? These are the people that right now are doing good. Right now, right this minute, they're doing good. And because of that, they're growing weary. You see, the point is, Paul is exhorting them to keep on. He's not telling them to start doing good. He's addressing those who are already in the midst of ministry. You see, God knows that we are weary, and He tells us that He knows. He gives us this encouragement. This occurs in the midst of a passage about covenant community, doesn't it? He speaks to brothers in verse 1. He talks about bearing one another's burdens. God knows that we grow weary and He shares that knowledge with us. So we know He has concern for us. It's like the psalm says, Cast all your cares on Him. And Peter says, For He cares for you. God knows that we grow weary. He tells us this in the context. You see, because we often are tempted to think that it is our fault. Isn't that true? That sometimes if we're tired or we're tempted to give up, we think there's something wrong with us. That we're just not obeying enough. We're just not reading our Bibles enough. Everybody else can handle it, but not us. But that's not the case. You see, God knows we grow weary and He tells us that. Now, why would we grow weary? I'm sure you all know, but let me remind you of a few things. The first thing that would make us to grow weary would be a lack of support. That's where verse 6 comes in. Verse 6, again, is one of these verses that seems sort of stuck in for no reason. One who is taught the Word must share all good things with the one who teaches. It's as if Paul takes this opportunity to stick in a phrase about support those who teach you. Why would he do that? Well, you see... First of all, he's emphasizing the importance of teaching the Word of God. He emphasizes it right here. He says, those of you who are taught, and let me tell you, right out the gate, right from the beginning of the church, there were teachers teaching the doctrine. The word here for the one who is taught is the same word that we get our word catechism from. It's the same word. You see, even then teaching the doctrines and truth of God were known in the church. But you see, the importance of teaching the Word is true even in the midst of hardship. 
we might imagine it this way. Why would Paul need to say, you need to support those who are teaching you? Think of our context. Who's running around? It's the Judaizers. And who do they criticize? Paul. So what would happen if you were a faithful teacher reminding the Galatians if your job was to say, remember what Paul said, it's about promise, not about obedience. It's about faith, not about works. Remember what Paul said when he was here. You can imagine the Judaizers. Look at those fools. They want you to believe Paul. You know, Paul, the guy who's not even here, the guy that left, the guy who has a second-rate gospel. He didn't get it straight from the horse's mouth. You remember that? He didn't get it from Jesus when he was alive. He didn't walk with Jesus like James did. He didn't see Jesus when they fed the multitudes like I did. You see, it's because they're being faithful that they're being ostracized and having difficulty. They're not getting the support they need and they are growing weary because they're doing good and there's a lack of support. Another reason they might grow weary is the daily battle with the world. It is very difficult, is it not, to continue in doing good when you are unappreciated. That's much more difficult than even doing harder tasks when you see appreciation. Isn't that true? Parents, it's like getting up the day before Christmas or more likely staying up late into Christmas Eve and putting together a toy. You don't even know why you have this toy except for you're sure that it's going to make your child joyful. And you spend all this time, and if you're like me, you're working with the screwdriver and you cut your hand a couple of times because you don't know what you're doing. And you put it together, and then Christmas morning comes, and they unwrap it, and the boy looks at it, and he says, oh, that's nice. And he puts it off to the side. And you think, your first thought is, why in the world did I stay up all night putting that together? And your second thought probably is, never going to do that again. That's it for that. Right? Children, it's the same way with you as well, isn't it? Have you ever spent a lot of time drawing a picture? putting together a craft, doing something that you're sure your parents will just love. And you take it to them and they say, not now, honey, I'm busy, I'm on the phone, show it to me later. And you get discouraged. And you say, what's well, the last picture I'll draw for them? Right? That's the last time I'll do laundry. That's the last time I'll mow the lawn without being asked. Some thanks I got. Right? The world can weary us. This is what happens. The other thing that makes us weary is that the reward often seems far off. That's why Paul talks about reaping. You know, this passage is perfect to preach in Chula. So all you have to do is describe for people what they do every day. They plant. They go out every day and they water and they weed and they do things and month after month after month. Goes by. They know the reaping is far off. This is an agricultural metaphor. It's far off. But the fact that that reward is so far off sometimes discourages us. Some of you may have experienced something like this in your first job. You got your first job. You were all excited. You went out and you went to work. You worked the first week. You know it's coming up. It's payday. It's great. Everybody gets a paycheck. And guess what? You don't get yours. Why? 
because you're paid in arrears. And your payday for the last week you just worked is until next week. Oh, I don't want to go to work the next day. The reward seems so far off. It makes us weary. This is especially helpful for us as Americans because we like our reward now. Right? Instant coffee, instant tea. That's what we want. Everything right now. God knows we grow weary. But God doesn't just tell us that He knows. He gives us the means not to grow weary. Look first at the encouragement that God gives to us. In verse 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You may recall that I've told you that little words in the Bible make a difference. What does the verse say? Does it say, for in due season we may reap? Does it say, in due season we might reap? No. It says, in due season we will reap. It's a future tense. It specifically is a future tense. Paul could have used a may, a might, a would, a could. You see, God is encouraging us that our labor is not in vain. That in due season we will reap. Now, notice something else that Paul does here. He says, let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we will reap. Do you see that? Paul moves from brothers and the one who teaches and the one who is taught to us. He identifies with them. He says, I know exactly what it's like. I'm in the same boat as you. I'm tempted to grow weary. But let me tell you what restores my soul. To know that in due season, not just me, but you will all reap. We'll all reap. Even in the midst of conflict. Paul says something extremely similar in 2 Thessalonians 3. He tells them not to grow weary in well-doing. And he tells them this in the midst of conflict in their church. He says, you see all this conflict going on. I want you not to grow weary. Isn't that the most difficult place not to grow weary? In the church, in the middle of conflict. Right? Because you say to yourself, it's supposed to be different here. People aren't supposed to ignore me here. People aren't supposed to make fun of me here. People are supposed to encourage me here. People are supposed to be appreciative. This is church. Right? And when our ministry is not met with the kind of encouragement and affirmation that we seek or that we would hope for, it can be devastating to us. It's very difficult. But you see, Paul says, even in the midst of this conflict, even in difficulty and being ignored, take encouragement, take heart, for you will reap in season. But Paul doesn't just give encouragement. The Bible is very fond, and I think for good reason, of providing us both positive and negative encouragement. Do this, don't do that. Be encouraged on in this way, be warned against that. And so Paul gives us a warning as well. Look in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. It's an explicit warning. When Paul says, do not be deceived, it is a very stern phrase. It is the strongest way that you can say this in the Greek language. Okay? This is not, well, you know, it really wouldn't be best. Or, well, you might not want to make this mistake. No. This is a strong warning. Don't be deceived. Wake up. This is the only time Paul uses this. And that in and of itself should tell us something because he's got a lot of stern words for the Galatians, doesn't he? He tells them, who's bewitched you? He's saying, I think I've labored in vain. And here he saves perhaps his strongest phrase for a warning against weariness. What do I mean by a strong phrase? I mean, this is the phrase Paul uses at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6 when he says, don't be deceived, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's when he says in 1 Corinthians 15, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. It's what our Lord himself says in Luke 21 when he says, don't be deceived, they'll be false Christs. Jesus is trying to get their attention. And so here is Paul. It's an explicit command. And what does he say? He says, God is not mocked. Don't mock. And like many of these sorts of phrases, the vocabulary is elevated up into writing vocabulary. Because we don't normally say, don't mock, do we? But what we might say is what this really means and comes from. Don't turn up your nose at it. Don't look down your nose at God. That's literally what it means. Don't turn up the snout. It's a very vivid image. Don't mock God. Don't look down on God. This is the type of language that's used, you may remember, that Elijah used with the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. Do you remember that? When Elijah has this contest between the Lord God and the prophets of Baal, and the prophets are trying to do all that they can do to get fire to come down from a false god. And Elijah says, maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's hungry and he's not paying attention. (laughs) You know, maybe he's in the bathroom. That's literally what what he says. He's mocking Baal. He's mocking the prophets. And what Paul says is, don't mock God. This is not what you want to do. It's an outworking of what I've said before, Paul says, about sowing to the Spirit and sowing, not sowing to the flesh. He says, don't be deceived. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap death and corruption. Weariness, despair. That's how you reap weariness. He says you'll reap corruption. The image that comes up in our mind is one of a rotting corpse that stinketh, to use the old King James. That's what sowing to the flesh gives us. But what does sowing to the Spirit bring in verse 7? Or excuse me, in verse 8. It brings eternal life, reaping eternal life. Now, we need to remember about what eternal life is. You remember that John tells us 
in his first letter that he writes to us that we might know we have eternal life. Not that we'll get it. You see, eternal life is not just something to come. It is something that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, as one who is united to Him, that we have right now. It is life, the very life of God. And you see, we can't be in a position of mocking God and reaping corruption. We want to be reaping eternal life, sowing to the Spirit. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Paul's warning comes directly at you. You may think you have God fooled. You may have the wool pulled over the eyes of everyone. Me, John, the elders, your spouse. But God is not mocked. He will not be fooled. You cannot pull the wool over his eyes. He sees to the heart. There's also an implicit warning here because Paul says, if we don't give up, if we don't lose heart, in verse 9, then we will reap. But the reverse is also true. You see, if we lose heart, if we give up, then we will not reap. God also gives us opportunities not to grow weary. In opportunities of ministry. Look at verse 10. So then, as a result of this, because I don't want you to grow weary, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, one of the means not to grow weary is to minister, is to keep on keeping on, in spite of difficulties. Because you see, Paul makes it clear here. He's not saying, well, if you don't want to grow weary, what you really need to do is find a way to minister to only good Christians who will appreciate you. Then your self-esteem will be built up and you'll feel better about yourself. And you'll say, you'll look in the mirror and say, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and gosh darn it, people like and appreciate me. No. Paul says if you want not to grow weary, go out and minister to a lost world. People who aren't going to appreciate you. People who don't think you have their their best interest in heart. He said that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to see the work of God and the grace of God in your life. Keeping on keeps us from weariness. Well, God doesn't just know we grow weary, and He doesn't just give us the means not to grow weary. He does something that is spectacular that we don't expect. He commands us not to grow weary. This is not an option. It comes in the language of do not be deceived. And again, and let us not grow weary. That is a command. That is not a suggestion. It is not a description. It is a good old-fashioned imperative. Do this. God gives us this command. And it's not a new command. You see, He's telling us to remember to remember our first works. Because remember our context? He's speaking to those who are already ministering, who are growing weary because of ministry. He's not trying to jumpstart a cold engine. He's trying to keep the Galatians moving forward. He's reminding them to do their first works. It's like what John told to the church at Ephesus when he saw the vision of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation, he said, you've lost your first love. Go back to it. Keep on. 
Paul is reminding the Galatians and us of all the things that he's spoken. For the do good is things like being loving, being joyful, being patient, being kind, being good, being faithful. That is the doing good. Walking with the Spirit is the doing good. He doesn't just command us by way of remembrance, though. (coughs) He also commands us to persevere on. He basically says this, the way to be better, to feel better, is to continue on walking. You see, this is common to Paul. He says, if you want to not grow weary, you need to keep on in the path. Now, why? That seems to make no sense. I'm tired, so I keep walking. I can't pedal anymore, so I stay on the bike. That doesn't make any sense. Is this some kind of treadmill Christianity? No. You see, the irony is that we keep on and that keeps us from weariness because the Lord supplies our strength. You all are probably very familiar with the passage in Isaiah 40, right? They shall run and not grow weary. (laughs) They shall not faint. They shall mount up as wings of eagles. Why? Because the Lord God is their strength. That's why we keep on to see the grace and the mercy of the Lord God in our life as we minister. And so to be strengthened. (coughs) Paul reminds us to persevere on in another way. He says that remember here that the time is God's time. Not your time. Not the church's time. Not some poll's time. Look what he says in verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. You see, we will reap, but not just any old time. We will reap at just the right, perfect, God-ordained time. You say, well, I want to reap now. And I say to you, God knows the time better than you or me. It's God's time. God knows a lot about time and the perfect time. Because you see this phrase in due season at just the right time, it's almost exactly the phrase used in Galatians 4.4 to describe what? In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. God is all about knowing the perfect time. Right? If God knows the perfect time to send His Son, how could He not know the perfect time to keep you from weariness and to tell you when you will reap? You see, it's not just the right time, it's the critical time. The word time here that we get is a word that we get for crisis. It's the critical time, just before despair sets in. That's the time that we reap, to be encouraged in well-doing. Well, we're commanded to remember, we're commanded to persevere on, and we're commanded in this to finish well. This is a good phrase that should be on every Christian's vocabulary. It's not enough to start good. We must finish well. You all know that in every area of your life, right? You dads have experienced that the first time your son mowed the lawn, and he started out like gangbusters. About halfway through, he quit. And he said, This looks worse than when it wasn't mowed, because it looks half mowed, right? 
You ladies know this with the bathroom that's been half remodeled, right? And it looks worse than when it was old because it's a mess. We must finish well. You see, we will reap, but it's only those who are not fainting at the time, not giving up at the time. We must persevere on. God grants us the grace of perseverance, and so we must persevere. I'll just conclude here with an illustration for you from the Scriptures. There was a man who some of you may know and some of you may not really have ever heard of or remembered. His name was Demas. And Paul talks about him a few times in the Bible. The first time that he talks about him in the Bible is in Colossians 4.14. He's describing to the Colossians the way that they are to minister and to treat each other. And he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. He says, my fellow laborers here. Luke, you remember Dr. Luke wrote a gospel? Well, and Demas too. They greet you. And then to the same church, perhaps, or at least that are involved with it, he writes to Philemon. And he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, another gospel writer, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. Now he's with two gospel writers. This Demas is a pretty good guy. He must be really involved in ministry. He gets two, two mentions in two different letters. And Paul's using him as an example. I want to be like this Demas. I wouldn't mind if it said Mark and Luke and Fred. Wow. You've heard me say to you in the past, but praise God, the Scripture doesn't end here. There's a promise that follows, right? But here for our edification, we wish the Scripture ended here. Because it doesn't. Demas isn't mentioned two times in the Bible. He's mentioned three times. And that third occasion, it's in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Paul says this of Demas. He says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. You see, Demas began well. He started out like gangbusters. He was in the inner circle. He was in there with Luke, with Mark, with Epaphras. But you see, Demas didn't finish well. Demas grew weary, I think. He got tired of Paul. He got tired of the problems. He got tired of the beatings. He got tired of the ridicule. And he said, I've had it. I'm going back. Take it. I, Paul, so what? You're in jail and you're in trouble. I can't take it anymore. I've taken all I can take. I won't stand for it. I can't stand no more. You see, this is what happens. Demas grew weary, and he didn't finish well. And so we are called to persevere on by the grace of God, to see the warning of Demas, to see that we must not grow weary and we must finish well, that we must walk in the Spirit. And so as we consider that and contemplate that, and you think, I'm not sure how to do that, the, the book of Hebrews gives us a very similar sort of phrase. 
It tells us not to be weary and discouraged. Same words in our souls. But you see, what Hebrews says is to lay aside the weight of your sin and to consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you grow weary. So today, if you grow weary, if you hear the story of Demas and you are frightened, and I hope you are, don't worry what Demas did so I can avoid that trap. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is where laying aside the weight of sin is found. There is where lack of weariness is found. There is where protection from discouragement is found in looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are called to look upon Him. Not to dwell on our own sin. This is the way that we are protected from weariness in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of ministry. And so, Christians, beloved brothers and sisters in Galatia and in Katie, do not grow weary, but rather continue in doing good. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have blessed us with this Word. And we ask, O Lord, that You would apply it to our hearts, that You would help us to see that You care for us and You have provided for us not to grow weary. And we praise You, O Lord, that You have brought it to our attention by commanding us not to grow weary. And we ask that You would strengthen us by Your mighty Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen.